Really, though? Pluto's going to be promoted as a planet? That doesn't seem... Well, it was a planet, then it got demoted. Right. And it's getting promoted. And according to Nathan, it's not a full-on... It'll be a dwarf planet or a little person planet, so it's not full-on <laughs> quite. Did you just PC Pluto? I think he did. On behalf of all the Migos out there, they thank you. <laughs> You've correctly identified their planet's stature. Mm -hmm. Ugh. So weird. (laughs) (laughs) They worshipped, so they said, the great old ones who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world at least. All right, everyone, welcome to episode 14 of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I am your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and today I'm joined with, as always, my fellow co-hosts. I'm the man from Lang, host of the Whisper and Darkness YouTube channel. I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. And I'm Nathan Early from Guardian Games here in Portland, Oregon, slash Arkham Horror Images of Madness on Instagram. Well, before we uh, before we get into the main topics of tonight's episode, how you guys been doing? What you guys been up to recently? Uh, we're all sitting at home. Oh, actually, I think, Nathan, you're still kind of going into work meetings and such, huh? I still work, uh, but my business is curbside during the pandemic. Pretty handy. And Man From Lang, you're still, you're still working too, yes? I am. Yes, I am still working, fortunately. So, but... Uh, my family is home most of the time, so between work and creating content and playing Arkham Horror, keeping busy. Sounds like a good life. You know, they can make an Arkham Horror, the card game scenario, uh, related to this pandemic, and it'd just be one location, and you just sit there, and you just keep taking cards from the encounter deck, and just deal with yeah, them. Yeah, your house. Yeah, in your house. Yeah, exactly. isn't that just the beginning just of the gathering? There. Exactly, just just, leave but study. it never expands. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nine shroud location. Nine shroud with twenty-seven <laughs> clues. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you've been stuck at home, vase, what you what you've been playing recently? Oh man, I've been playing all sorts of stuff. Uh, I've been playing for the League of uh, Extraordinary Investigators again. Uh, I took one season off, a mini season off, but uh, it, they're doing the Forgotten Age, which is one of my favorite cycles, and it's been great. They they actually split it up into a um, kind of a mini campaign. They they removed a couple of the scenarios, so it's a little bit shorter. It makes a little more sense, uh, but that's been a lot of fun. And then uh, I've been playing. Lots of Delta Green and Dungeons and Dragons and a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> it's been uh, it's been fun trying to keep busy. What about you, Nate? Well, um, other than running Call of Cthulhu for patrons of the show, I started playing uh, TFA on stream with Three Aces Mandy, and that's been a bit of a mixed bag. Some of the scenarios have been going pretty well, and some of them haven't. Uh... Boundary was particularly brutal. Uh, my my test runs of that scenario, I ended up getting like four of the locations, but on stream I just got smacked by like, I think it was two of the cultists, uh, the Brotherhood cultists, and another enemy, and yeah, that just quickly put curtains to Mandy. 
And aside from TFA, I started a Return to Dunwich uh, campaign with Solo Carolyn, which I'm just now uh, getting into Lost in Time and Space, so I'm pretty excited. Did you to say Carolyn Fern the Botanist? I did, sorry, yes. He, Carolyn he did Fern say the that. Botanist. And now you've fallen in love as well, and now she's your mm-hmm. favorite as well. <laughs> Definitely up there. She's an interesting puzzle to figure out for solo play. Isn't she? Yeah, I like being able to use Peter as a means of generating resources. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, she's a. Uh, you can build her so many different ways, like way different from each other. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her card pool is very interesting. It allows her to do, uh, like you said, it allows her to branch off into multiple directions. I went with a more spell-heavy deck. Uh, Two copies of Shriveling, a copy of Miss, and one copy of Enchanted Blade as my enemy management uh, options. I've been going pretty well. Miss was surprisingly very good in a lot of the scenarios that I've been playing so far. Yeah, I saw your your build was interesting because I generally go one or the other. I usually don't go, like, weapon and spells. I usually do one one of the two. Because the Guardian card mm-hmm. pool can help you boost your combat pretty well. Like, there's enough cards in the Guardian card pool to help you do that. And with her resource generation, you can pump with a couple of the other Guardian cards that let you do that. Or you can go willpower and, you know, focus on that. And there's plenty of cards that will help you do that, too. But splitting those two generally is something I avoid. But it seems to be working out pretty well for you. Yeah, well, I'm only playing one Enchanted Blade. And it's kind of more of just a backup. Um because you're already like you're I was already playing physical training and um a couple of other cards to boost my combat skill so it, it wasn't like too much of a stretch for me to like fight at a base 4 and then use well prepared to go to a 6 <laughs> you know just just in case you need it um retrospectively I probably wouldn't have put the blade in um at least for Dunwich just because there's all those uh there's all those conglomeration of spheres that like to chew up the blade. But yeah. aside from that, yeah, the campaign's been going pretty well. That's awesome. Right, did you say you're doing the return to? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what about you, man, from Lane? Uh, I haven't been playing a campaign recently. I've been playing mostly standalone. was running with... Uh, I've been enjoying Ultimatum Chaos. Played a uh, Roland Banks deck that basically had every... Uh, multiplayer card in it so that was interesting playing with a lot of cards that have absolutely no use whatsoever <laughs> wait in solo yep <laughs> <That's awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah self-sacrifice was particularly useless <laughs> has no skill icons and no no uh, you can't do anything with it it just sits in your hand i was gonna say you don't even have cornered that's too bad. That's funny. Though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I played some uh, Nathaniel Cho on stream, and that didn't uh, go particularly well. A couple bad pulls, and that uh, ended, and also was playing the new Daisy. So, uh, Briefly, Man from Lang, what do, you think, uh, what do you think Nathaniel Cho's biggest weakness is for Solo? Was it his ability to not get clues, or...? I think it's the the way you've got to build his deck. I think you've got to... He needs sort of a lot of stuff. He needs like his... He needs a lot of events to fuel his ability because uh, otherwise he... uh, The boxing gloves are pretty good, but they don't do extra damage. 
So you really need those uh, events for him to fight so he can trigger his ability. And by the time you get all those events, you get... uh, And because he doesn't do additional damage as often as some of the other Guardians, um, he tends to get hit a lot more. So you also need uh, some way of mitigating that, whether you're playing allies or whatnot. So between events and allies and then you probably need an extra weapon in there and stuff like that you don't have a lot of space to to put in a lot of cards to help you investigate which you sort of need when you're playing solo and you've got two intellect yeah that was one thing i never really considered was weapons are really great in that aspect as they they have multiple uses so you don't have to pack as many cards in your deck to deal with enemies that's that's interesting and then what about daisy how did you feel about daisy uh, just to, to talk about Nathaniel a little more, he also doesn't have any resource generation, unlike some of the others. Oh yeah, he's got the new the new the new guardian card, which which helps a little bit, but he doesn't have like Zoe's built-in resource generation. So you're playing. I mean, guardians have a lot of expensive cards, so you need to put in. Uh, I think you really need emergency cash as well, which makes him expensive, like to uh, to pay for everything. So yeah, in the end, there isn't a lot of space for for intellect, and I think depending on the campaign, you could run into a lot of a lot of trouble just trying to get clues. Uh, Daisy's, I thought Daisy was the new Daisy is uh, she's pretty good. Uh, the one willpower is a huge liability until you can get some tomes down on the table especially in her challenge scenario because uh, uh, things like Visions of Futures Past, uh, an early arcane barrier is absolutely devastating um, because she just doesn't have the... The difference between having one willpower and two willpower is huge um, because at two you at least have a... You can usually either get yourself to a point where you have a reasonable chance of passing whereas one you're you've got to work that much harder and you can't just luck into passing say like a rotting remains is a difficulty three so if you're at a two you still have a chance of sort of lucking into it but not with one Mm. yeah that was something i had noticed with carolyn too uh like only having two agility was infinitely more useful and actually workable than having one agility. Cause yeah. I was like, like that combined with Peter, you're actually able to like reasonably evade enemies. Yeah. I think it, I mean, if you play a scenario, like I was playing, uh, this, um, the secret name with Winifred and, uh, that scenario, I mean, you really need to have willpower to pass it to pass any of those there's so many willpower tests you really need willpower to pass it and having one willpower is just it's really hard because you just can't you're basically failing everything well the whole circle undone is full of willpower tests pretty much and brutal ones that stay in your threat area yeah i did manage to beat it but i had to go back and re it's the first time i've played cards like moxie because I just needed that. I needed a way to get willpower. Moxie actually turned out to be pretty pretty good with uh, between that and uh, the uh, Elder Sign Amulet. 
so I could keep Moxie on the table for the entire game. And once I, it was a little touch and go at the beginning until I could generate enough resources. But then once I had the resources, I could pass pretty much any test I, any willpower test I wanted. It's not so bad with Winifred as well, because you, I mean, it's hard at the beginning because you don't have a witch to, uh, that you can easily get rid of some of those treacheries until Nahab comes out. But then it's relatively easy for Winifred to evade her, and then you can get rid of some of the some of those treacheries without actually having to pass the test. But that scenario is also fairly feels fairly swingy at the beginning. You can either cruise through it, or if you end up with a couple of rats, you can end up dead before you even have a chance to to get started. Yeah. Yeah, if you um if you get stuck in that moldy hall location, it can be pretty brutal for you. Yeah, and and in two games in a row, I pulled auto fail tokens when I'm investigating the landlord's quarters, so I ended up with rats, and at that point, I was just couldn't I couldn't get out from underneath it. And what about you, Nathan? What have you been up to recently, other than uh, delivering packages to Vase curbside? <laughs> Okay, that's on the down low. Take that out, please. <laughs> I don't want to go on record for being Vase's bitch. Hey, um, so, you know, it's been interesting because we have, for the most part, been shut off from our distributors at Guardian Games. So we've been doing curbside, and we have a massive stock, but it's not perfect. And the more people that are buying stuff, obviously, the quickest depletes. We've been selling a lot of puzzles, pomegranate puzzles, which have been fantastic. But um, but I have been pushing Arkham because Arkham, and uh, it's hilarious. People are like, hey, I want to get into the game. Let me try the base game. And I'm like, cool, you're going to want more. And they're like, whatever, we'll just try the base game. And then I get emails back saying, like, I've been bitten, or oh my God, or what what exactly do you have as far as uh, expansions? <laughs> you know, so we've been selling entire cycles at a time. Like, hey, the entire Dream Eaters minus the last one, or all of Circle Undone. Um, I've been also starting people off on, um, you know, Path to Carcos and Dumbwich Legacy because we at least have those deluxe boxes. But sales for Arkham have been like still steady, if not through the roof. Even during the the pandemic, with everybody learning about the game and instantly wanting more content, so that's been a lot of fun. Um, on a personal gaming level, I have been playing uh, Kingdom Death Monster campaign every week. Um, I think I am on year Lantern Year Three, about to go after the Screaming Antelope, as you do. Uh, continuing to play a lot of Arkham, doing a lot of the fan maids, working on my own scenario still, um, and then you know playing World of Warcraft as a tank. Gotta love being a zombie tank. So that has been my life, in addition to work. So for tonight's main topic, Nathan uh, graciously asked Matt Newman to answer some of our questions. And, well, Nathan, we've uh, 
We've bared some fruit, yes? I don't know what that means, but we have answers. Very well. So this first question comes courtesy of patron of the show, Doovies. He wanted to ask Matt, will these new key and flood tokens be used in every scenario in the cycle, or partially throughout a number of them? Matt's answer was, While many of the new scenarios interact with both key and flood tokens, there are some that don't. We only try to use the new mechanics when it makes sense, and not just stuff them in wherever possible. Uh, if you could go back and redesign Rex Murphy, would he interact more with the curse tokens? And Matt said, It's possible. Uh, if only there were some way for us to go back and revisit older investigators, say, in a parallel dimension or something. Uh, which is cool, <laughs> so we have to put a pause there and talk about the parallel investigators. Uh, Cameron, are you able to do so? Yeah, they uh, FFG last Tuesday um, released the first parallel investigator, Daisy Walker. So you could just head over to FFG's website. You can download the uh, print and play. There's a uh, a rules uh, PDF as well as a uh, as a PDF with the new cards. There are relatively few new cards, which is nice. So it's not too hard to uh, to download them and print them off. And uh, so you get a a parallel version of Daisy who has different uh, different stats and different special abilities and different deck building uh, options. You get advanced versions of her signature cards, both the uh, tote bag and the uh, the Necronomicon. The uh, tote bag is clearly better than her old tote bag, but the uh, Necronomicon is clearly worse than. Uh, the old Necronomicon, so if you uh, want to use one, you have to use both. And then uh, when you build a deck, you can use any combination of fronts or backs. So you can use Old Daisy front with New Daisy um, deck building, or you can use New Daisy front with Old Daisy back deck building or any combination thereof. So it gives gives players a lot of new options to uh, to play around with the New Daisy um, she can take any tome. Uh, she can only use seeker cards level zero to three, but she can take mystic or guardian, uh, five mystic or guardian cards. So some new options there for players to experiment with. And, uh, she is the first of what I assume will be many, uh, parallel investigators that will be released in coming months. And, uh, Print and play is uh, thus far the only way you can get them because uh, I was talking to uh, Evan, the marketing manager of FFG, or um, or with marketing at FFG, and uh, he said that for now there is uh, no plans to print a product with these uh, investigators in them. But then again, you know, we never thought we'd get an expansion based around dogs either. So, yay, <laughs> that's very true. I assume given enough, if there's enough interest in these parallel investigators, and I can't see why there wouldn't be, uh, that we may see them uh, published officially at some point down the road. You know, the thing that bothers me is that working with a lot of fan-made content, there's some people that refuse to do anything unless it's directly printed from FFG, even if it's their idea. So I don't know how well these will do with the masses if they're only print and play it definitely feels like a you know more uh, a product for the more hardcore players the more invested players 
I, I think I agree with you, Nathan. I don't think that it's going to be something that the masses are going to be like, oh, let's go to the website. Oh, there's a parallel. I think that most like regular people <laughs> aren't even going to know that that exists or that that's a thing. But if it does come to print, that'd be pretty cool. I think they, they could do something like the, you know, recently announced uh, investigator packs and come out with investigator packs with these parallel investigators. Something interesting, you know, that would be a little bit different and will help people that, say, want to play Leo Anderson but don't want to invest into the Forgotten Age. They can still get Leo Anderson as a individual investigator pack. I think it'd be it'd be a good a good thing, although... And then even people who, who already own Leo Anderson, they're not missing out because they're getting a different version of them. So I think it's a product that would, if it were printed, it, it would do fairly well, I would assume. I think, uh, I think, I mean, I having played, uh, I think it's a tremendous value. I mean, you get it, you're getting an investigator, you're getting new signature cards, new deck building options, and they throw a scenario on top and having played the scenario a couple times, it's really, uh, uh, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's a, a a cool puzzle to try to solve, and uh, it will be. I'm looking forward to seeing whether uh, uh, the uh, the challenge scenario, whether you can build a deck for a campaign that can also beat the challenge scenario. Because uh, the thing that I I quite liked about it was that the uh, it uh, her challenge scenario is basically extracurricular a twist on extracurricular activities, so you're using the encounter sets from that uh, from that scenario. But the uh, the encounter cards seem uh, a lot harder when uh, in this uh, scenario because of the mechanics of the way the scenario works itself. A lot of the cards can be very punishing. And uh, even cards like the uh, the Light of Afragomon, which is uh, usually just sort of a, I've always just considered it basically a free encounter deck draw because it rarely does anything in uh, in her challenge scenario. It stays on the table for the entire scenario, so you're taking direct horror and direct damage every time you get hit. So it's um, it can be pretty punishing if you draw that draw that early. Yeah, I like. It. I, I do like where you're coming from, Vase. I like the idea of releasing parallel investigators in, um, like in a in its own kind of starter deck, I guess, kind of way. But but I also do kind of like that these are print and play too. Like you're you're not required to purchase anything to to essentially enjoy new content. So I'm kind of torn, kind of torn of how I how I would feel about them releasing official parallel investigators. Um, but why don't we go ahead and for now, let's, let's move into, um, one of Matt's other questions about the, um, Insmith conspiracy. So, so we'd asked Matt, uh, will, with the return of the punch board for this expansion, um, does that mean we'll see thicker boxes or an increase to MSRP at all? And Matt's answer was, uh, the box for the Insmith conspiracy will just, uh, it'll be like every other box from the other deluxe campaign so far. And it does not affect MSRP at all, which is cool. So that was it was nice to get that confirmed, because that was that was initially something I was not really worried about, um, but definitely definitely uh, a question I felt was worth bringing it's, up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who asked him that question? Was that you or was it Nathan? Sounds like Nathan would be more 
the person that I would think would come up with that question because he's in the retail. It was actually me. Yeah. Was it? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's something that hadn't even occurred to me regarding the, the makeup of the box and all that. All right. Next question. What sources did you read or watch to both get in the mood to create content and draw from for the cycle? I mostly drew from the shadow over Insmith story by HP Lovecraft but as a huge fan of Dark Corners of the Earth, I definitely drew some inspiration there as well. Oh, that's cool. So for anyone that's not aware, uh, Dark Corners of the Earth is a, I think a 2006 release. Uh, it's a Call of Cthulhu game for the Xbox. And the story sees the protagonist basically going through uh, the story of the Shadow of Rinsmith. But there's there's some twists to it, obviously. So that's cool. That's neat to... It's neat to hear that Matt, uh, Matt played some old-school RPG games. Yeah. Um, man from Lang, are you able to do the next question? Sure. We asked, uh, as we're getting new Chaos tokens for the game in Innsmouth in the form of Blessed and Cursed tokens, did you have any have different ways in mind of uh, to uh, at first to incorporate a Blessed Cursed mechanic to the game? before settling with the Chaos Bag alteration with the tokens. And uh, Matt said, Every Arkham Horror game has had some iteration of the blessed and cursed uh, uh, mechanic, so it was always something in mind uh, from the very beginning of the game, since blessed and curse has uh, always been about manipulating the luck factor in the game to increase or decrease the chance of success. Tying into the Chaos Bag was always my intent, but it wasn't until Innsmouth that we uh, got the opportunity to do it. It uh, went through a few different iterations, but uh, I'm really happy with uh, with the result. I think I think they mentioned on the live stream that uh, initially the tokens were basically auto fails and elder signs. Yeah, I, I think I remember Jeremy mentioning that as well, which led to a very swinging game. I mean, plus two and minus two and reveal another token can also be pretty swingy. Yeah, that's that's my concern with them is that it's going to be that it's going to be. I mean, one of the things I like about the game is being able to to sort of predict what my odds are, and this will turn that on its head. Uh, the more tokens you add to the bag, it's going to be a lot harder to. I think the I think when I did some math on it. It looks like the blessed tokens don't really affect the odds too much, but the curse tokens can really swing tests pretty wildly. So um, if you've got a bunch of blessed tokens in the bag, you're not, obviously you're just going to succeed a little bit more often, but if you've got a bunch of curse tokens, you're going to fail tests that you probably would have passed otherwise. Yeah, that's how I feel about them too. Um, like the blessed tokens feel win more to me because when you're pulling from the back like chances are you're already above yeah, the skill test yeah. anyway but like you said like the curse tokens are so much more detrimental because like it just yeah. it just decreases if, your odds of succeeding that much more yeah if you're two up before the pull the bless the bless tokens do almost nothing for you but if you're if you're if there are curse tokens in the bag you need to really be four up before you before you're safe and even then you can end up pulling if you pull back to back curse tokens or something like that you're so i don't know i'm i'm sort of torn about it just because i, I i'm not sure um i like that sort of 
changing luck element. I'm not sure I like, I think some players who just like sort of to play on easy mode, this sort of will turn that into, so if you're playing on easy, you're sort of bumping up to standard or hard if you get too many curse tokens in the bag. So I'm not sure players who just want to experience the story will suddenly be failing tests they would have passed in the past. And then I'm just not sure whether adding all of these new tokens is going to be um, whether the the added fiddliness of all these new tokens is really worth the what they bring to the game. Because I know certainly playing multiplayer at Arkham Knights, everybody tends to play with their own bags just due to speed. It's It's a lot easier if everybody has their own bag and pulls from it rather than passing one bag around the table. So if you've got four players who are constantly adding and removing tokens from their bag, it's only a matter of time before somebody screws it up and and loses count or, or whatnot. And then it's going to be, you're going to have to like, everybody's going to have to basically empty their bags to figure out who's got what. Mm-hmm. Mm, and point. so I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy about that aspect yeah. of it. And I, know I imagine some a nightmare scenario where like you have, Sister Mary and Jim in your like in your Iron Man campaign, and then you have to try to like figure out four bags all at once. That is, ugh. oh god, especially as you're tired, like later on in the campaign. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel and like I, I know somebody left a left a comment on one of my videos saying, you know, you just should get used to using one bag. But when you're playing Iron Man, you really can't. No, I yeah, mean, no, that will just not, just not feasible. The, the day is already you're already playing for twelve hours straight. And you need every, you know, you need every way to, to trim time down as you can. And I think, I don't know, having to, to constantly be putting in and removing tokens from the bag. And then there's that one, the one mystic card. I can't remember the name that basically you've got to take all the blessed tokens out, replace them with curse tokens, and then take out all the curse tokens or replace them with blessed tokens. It's just like, man, it's so much, so much work for i mean does it does it make the game better i'm not i'm not convinced that it does but we'll see it's we've got another five months before um before it happens and it sounds like a lot of the from from what matt has said most of the most of the tokens the cards that add tokens are player tokens are player cards so it's really up to the players how much they want to interact with it that that I like. It would be really obnoxious to like be in a scenario in Innsmouth and then all of a sudden have like three or four co- curse tokens like enter the bag as the agenda flips or something. Oh god! I could just imagine that just being a nightmare. And then it makes scenarios really swingy, like you were saying earlier. So yeah, you know you you guys were saying about the odds of success versus failure with these new tokens. I think actually survivors would benefit really really well from the the blessed tokens because I think a lot of survivors are built to take tests that they're maybe even with, or maybe just one up over because they're waiting to use lucky or um, what's that other card where you get to take the test again at a plus two like um, live and learn or something like live that. And learn, yeah. So, you know, a lot of survivors take risky pulls uh, in general. So having more blessed tokens would help survivors and they, they can keep those cards for, for later and i think a survivor player using a lot of those types of cards would actually benefit quite a bit from blessed 
Well, adding adding a bunch of blessed tokens to the bag doesn't actually change the odds of pulling them that much. Like when you say you add two blessed tokens to the bag and then you go to pull, you're only improving your odds by a small margin. But mm. if you do happen to pull a blessed token, you're almost guaranteed an auto success. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what the I'm first saying is pull doesn't really... It does help. It does help if you're say if you're taking a test where you're even with the difficulty or only one up. It does it does help you in that regard. But it also, I mean, a lot of the say with Stella Clark, she wants to fail tests so she can get a so she can trigger those effects that that uh, benefit from failing tests, and then she gets an extra action. So I think it'll depend on which. Uh, which investigator you're playing cuz i would be i would be kind of annoyed if i if i pulled a a blessed token on a test that i wanted to fail because as soon <laughs> as you do that you're almost guaranteed of success so mm-hmm. yeah i just imagine a scenario where i'm like trying to play live and learn to get two clues and then i pull a blessed token and i'm just like god damn it <laughs> look yeah. what i found you which is kind of ironic because you would think that you would be like happy to pull a blessed token, but survivors kind of flip that on its head a little bit. Yeah. You know, was that in the Alanis Morissette ironic song? Possibly. Pull a blessed token. No. It's ironic. <laughs> <laughs> she was Canadian. She probably knew a man from like. So beyond uh, what we'd know of Insmith, we didn't really want to ask Matt about the specific investigators uh, without him on the show. We felt like that was kind of um, something we wanted to discuss more in detail. But we did have a chance to also ask him about the new investigator starter decks. We asked Matt if this would be the start of a new product line, if this was some sort of uh, one sh- uh, offshoot, or um, if we could expect... Uh, some sort of regular release schedule with the Investigator Starter Decks and how it would affect future uh, future campaigns. And Matt's answer was, For now, that it's just its own little series of products and there's no guarantee that they'll ever make more, but you never know. They might. Which translates to money, right? If they sell, like, hotcakes, well, cursed Arkham hotcakes, then they will make more. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I'm sure it's one of those, like, they're going to they're gonna put their feels out and see see how the product does overall but i'm curious guys what do you uh what do you think about the investigative decks overall i think they're going to be extremely popular yeah i think so too i mean you're you're basically between the five decks you're adding a cycle's worth of cards to the game in one shot so between the new investigators which everybody likes getting new uh, toys to play with plus all the new player cards uh, I think they're going to sell very well. I'm going to certainly buy probably two copies of each just for myself so I have all the cards. No, I think it's genius because the, the way they put them together, like you were saying, new content, new investigators, but also you can grab one and go and not have to worry about building a deck or getting into the game. So it's going to attract newer players buying them as well. I think it's just going to be how many can we get kind of thing yeah and i think that the investigators themselves from from the uh from the ones that i've had a chance to test uh not completely because we don't know all their 
their signature uh, cards, but they uh, they seem pretty uh, pretty strong overall. So I don't think people will be disappointed if they show up at their their game night or a game with friends with one of these. And uh, it looks like based on the number of uh, based on what we're seeing in the in the decks, the cards that have been spoiled, that uh, the decks themselves are going to be quite strong, and then the uh, there'll be some very strong upgrades in the decks as well that uh, people can pick up to to make them even better. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. I, and I know another question we asked Matt was basically with this with these investigators be. You know, will there be other versions of them in future deluxe boxes with alternate signature cards like the novellas, or would they be their own thing? And he had said, We plan on these products being the only place these investigators appear, just like previous deluxe expansions were the only place those investigators appear. However, that doesn't eliminate the possibility of these investigators appearing as promo cards in future content, such as novellas, etc. But... I mean, I think that'd be neat if we got more ways to play them officially too. Because why not? You know, I think um, I think this kind of was testing also how it would work for Arkham to do something like Marvel Champions. Because with Marvel Champions, you have your hero deck that if you want to play Iron Man, you can buy the Iron Man deck uh, or pack and get some good cards that you can use for anyone or for Iron Man. Or the have you played a lot of Marvel Champions yet? Not a whole lot, but I played some, which. It's it's a good game. I just, you know, Arkham takes up so much more of my time. Um, but what I was thinking is it could open up more space if they do eventually evolve into that type of distribution model, uh, putting out investigators in their own individual packs so people can buy them that way and releasing a set, of, you know, a Guardian, a Mystic, a Rogue, a Survivor, um, with each expansion, releasing them that way. And it would allow for more cards to for encounter cards and scenario cards to be in each mythos pack um or they can have like the deluxe expansion still have new investigators but have the mythos packs have more cards so the scenarios themselves would be more dynamic they'd have more more cards they can play around with that kind of thing i think that'd be pretty neat if they if they did something like that because a a lot of people have trouble finding they want a specific card and they have trouble finding this specific mythos pack where that card is in, and they may not even be interested in playing that that scenario. So if they if they split it and make the mythos pack just a scenario, kind of like the standalones, and move those player cards to investigator decks with each cycle, I think I think that'd be an interesting way to go. Well, especially if they if they move like if the if the mini campaigns of the Dream Eaters are. Uh, if people like that sort of thing, you know, I could certainly see them moving to that distribution model where they have investigator starter decks and then say something like, I think they, in Marvel Champions, right, they've got the Wrecking Crew product and the Green Goblin product. So you could combine, say, three or four scenarios in one pack um, yeah. using the same sort of encounter cards. So you'd be able to pick up a mini campaign um so you get your investigators in your mini campaign separately, so you're not. Uh, yeah, almost like a like a Knight of the Zealot, but in a single box. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So it's so you're separating the two. So you're you've got a little bit more 
um, flexibility, especially for players. I mean, if they want, if they're targeting players who just want investigators and not necessarily the campaign, right? So picking up a deluxe expansion isn't necessarily what they want because they're not going to use the, they just want to play with friends and some friend already has that, has the, the scenario so they can pick up the starter, the investigator starter decks, and then the other friend can pick up the campaign, the mini campaigns and, and go from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd heard an interesting point. Um, friend of the show Manistrophic pointed out that it kind of has like a similar problem to like RPG books where really only one person has to buy like an Arkham collection for four pe people to play the game. So I think that this is a good way to uh All right, Nate, could I could I talk to you those people to maybe Can I can I talk to you about killing my sales just sure. real quick? <laughs> that's, a, that's all I want to say. Well, I mean, I think it's a valid point though. Like I think I'm sure that that's how a lot of four player groups probably see it. Especially if, like, you want to own the entire game, and at this point it probably costs you almost $1,000 to do that. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I think it's smart of them to test the waters for a new distribution model because the, the game has become a bit unwieldy and a bit uh, prohibitive for, for new players who like the game and want to get all the stuff, but it really just is financially not feasible for them. But this is this is the classic problem that FFG has run into with every living card game they've printed. Mm. So it seems to me that this is possibly an attempt to find a way out of that that corner they box themselves into every single time where they they just keep releasing more and more product, thus making the game more and more expensive to get into to the point where people are just like, screw it, I'm not I can't afford that, and there's no easy way of of sort of picking up and and getting into it. And I think if you by separating out the investigators and the scenarios, you you could uh, perhaps they can they can make the uh, the living card game model a little more sustainable than it has been. But I mean, this is the the thing, you know, Netrunner was sort of trying to they they got to a revised um a revised core set but then unfortunately the uh whatever licensing issues happened so the the game ended before we could actually see sort of what ffg's plan was afterwards so i'd be i'd like to know sort of okay so if these does do these investigator starter decks alleviate the need for them to say publish Arkham Horror 2.0 or a second core set that they can that gives players a new entry point? Because uh, I mean, I have heard criticism of the the Arkham Horror starter set as not being particularly good for entering the game, and I think. Uh, I mean, having only one set of the player cards was a was a uh, was a, a bad idea in hindsight. So perhaps if they have a if they redo the core set, then they could change things around a little bit. And yeah, I mean, the core set is a product that they could definitely easily change. But I mean, it's it's like a catch twenty two though, because obviously you want to keep your your current players engaged, so you you obviously want to continue to release product, but you know, like you said, it, it creates that 
that daunting feeling of, oh, great, like, well, I'm not going to bother getting into this game if I need to spend however much money for a newer player. So so I hope you're right. I do hope that this um, this potential change in the distribution model happens and that it that it works out for ffg because that would be great yeah i mean if you compare if you compare say um the investigator starter decks or what they're doing with marvel champions to something like the lord of the rings um solo game i mean with lord of the rings that the heroes are spread out through all of the products and then the cards you need for those heroes are spread out through all of the products so it's sort of an all or nothing proposition you can't just if you want to play a certain version of aragorn you have to go and buy the product that he's in plus all the products to get the cards you need and i think the investigator starter decks are a really good solution to that because you get the investigator plus all the cards you need to play that investigator and you don't have to necessarily go and buy spend hundreds of dollars to to get a collection to do that yeah totally totally and then if you want to play a specific scenario you just buy or a campaign you buy that campaign and it doesn't matter because like you said you you know if you have the forgotten age and you want your friends to play like they can, and they want to play Nathaniel Cho, they can just buy the Cho uh, pack and then come and play with you. And it's a fully functional deck, which is from, from what I'm seeing in the cards, it looks like they're going to be pretty good pre-built decks too, like much better than the starter decks that are recommended by FFG. At least it seems that Mm -hmm. way. Or even starter decks printed in other games too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the, Two corset situation is something that definitely put a lot of people off from the game. And I think they lost a lot of customers, potential customers because of it, or even customers who bought the, the corset. And then when they realized they had to buy it. See, and, and that's where I argue because <clears throat> selling games, that's the thing I do. It's harder to get people to invest $60. Pardon me. I'm having something with her. It's hard to get people to go $60 for Marvel Champions, but it's easier to get them to go, you know, it's now $45 for the Arkham base. Uh, over the last couple weeks, uh, Asmodee has raised prices on their top 40 sellers. So a lot of staples like Ticket to Ride, Pandemic, Settlers of Katana, etc. all went up $5. So now you're looking at $45, but, you know, Way of the World and, and all the things happening affects things. But I'll have people all the time that say, hey, I want to try the game, but I only want to spend 30 to $40-ish. Mm-hmm. So it is an entry point financially. I agree with you. I'm, I'm totally with you. I know that that's why they did it, and, but there's people that don't understand that. And no matter how much you try to explain it to them, they think, oh, it's the greedy company. But re- the reality is, yeah, I mean, if the game costs $70 because they included two copies of every card they'd have a lot less people buying into the game and the game would die. But it, so they had to have a way and in compromise to have a way for people to buy into the game. And then if they like it, then buy it. But there are people that just, you, no matter how much you explain it to them, they will not understand that. Just two days ago, uh, I had a post, a comment on one of my videos, which is the expansions uh, video. So I go into every expansion and you know what it's about and whether you should buy it or not and i talk about buying two corsets and just two days ago i got a comment saying another ffg racket so you know that's just the way some people think you know 
So it's there has to be a solution to it. And I think that uh, even though I agree with you and I understand the reason, there's a lot of people that don't. And having something like the investigator decks as a standalone, I think would definitely have been a good way to start the game off had they thought about it beforehand. Yeah, and there's not, I mean, the, the problem with the, I think, the core set, I'd be curious to see what the the price point would have been, say, if they had included a second copy of of the player cards and not even you wouldn't even need all of the player cards just like you wouldn't need extra investigators or weaknesses or anything like that just the player cards themselves where that would have put the put it at the you know at what the msrp would be on something like that so not only are you getting sort of a more a better investigator package out of the deal but you're also getting some of that deck building which i don't think exists in the in the uh, in the core set, yeah, I definitely agree with you there, man. From like it, it's pretty much non-existent because just your your card pool alone is basically just put whatever cards your investigator can include. Yeah, it's like if you're playing Roland, it's like take this, take the Guardian cards and take the Seeker cards and mash them together. And there's no, you don't have an option to say, well, Barricade is useless in Roland, so but you're stuck playing it anyway. Or even medical text, or yeah, yeah. Like there's so many cards that you could take out that just don't have a place. And there are decks, there are investigators. Uh, I remember reading somewhere, I can't remember which investigator, where if you buy their deluxe expansion and just the core set, you cannot have a legal deck built for that investigator, which is crazy to think about. Or it's not that you can't have a legal deck; it's that the the FFG uh, recommended starter deck you can't build it because there's a card that you'll need an extra copy of. <laughs> um, oh, geez. That's yeah. a- I, I read that somewhere. I, I'll have to figure it out, and we'll put it in the show notes. Huh. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think overall, like, I think that this is a, a better direction to take the investigators. I, I kind of would like to see them do this, like, annually. Because, like, we already get basically five investigators every year with, with the release of a new campaign. But I'd like to see... I, I kind of would like to just see them release the investigators and then, like we've been saying, just release the campaign as a whole rather than having to wait, like, six to eight months for a campaign. You could just buy it all at once. But, you know, there is obviously that, like, barrier to entry with price point if you were to sell it that way. But It's also hype. It's also the fact that every month... You know, there's people in the community that get hyped about the new cards that are coming out, the new scenarios. So keeping that excitement going, if you release it all at once, you know, then there's a six month lull and people will drop off from the game. And yeah, yeah that's a, true. From a content creation standpoint, I much prefer the monthly version <laughs> rather than having having an entire campaign dropped on my head in one in one month would be like as it is. I don't think I'll be able to review the cards in the investigator starter decks because it will just be too time consuming. Like that's like seven, like how many, I don't know how many cards we're getting in total, but I mean, it's, it would just be, it'd be just unrealistic for me to turn. I mean, even, even 20, like 20 new cards per, per deck, that's a hundred cards you'd have to go over, which is just insane. Yeah. Like it's, that's, I mean, if you're getting, like each pack usually contains say 12 cards 12 new cards on average each mythos pack so you're getting 
probably double that and then five five times that so it's just <laughs> yeah it's, it's a it's lot crazy. of it's a lot of stuff to to put it in perspective i made the mistake of saying whatever new product they come out with i'm gonna rent those biplanes and have the the new cards spoiled on the banners behind them and i'm, <laughs> I'm already millions of dollars worth of and i'm not even getting anything from this so i don't know why i signed the contract with the plane company or why I'm still continuing to tape out the thing. Anyway, it's a side note. Never mind. I mean, that to me sounds like a uh, somebody failed their sanity roll on a game of Call of Cthulhu and then just had a bout of madness. <laughs> but but since we've kind of talked at length about the Investigator starter decks, let's go ahead and move on to uh, the other upcoming product that I feel has kind of been swept under the rug, and that's uh, the Return to the Forgotten Age. question so yeah we uh, we asked uh, matt whether uh with all the hype around insmouth and the starter decks uh what is he excited for in the return to uh, the forgotten age and he says i'm uh, really excited for players to revisit some of the mechanics from the forgotten age such as the exploration deck and supplies both of which have uh, some new additions or changes in this expansion. I think uh, players that love the Forgotten Age will love the new changes, and players that didn't love the Forgotten Age will love the new changes. So, and he puts he puts that second love in all caps. <laughs> he really emphasizes yes, that. Yes. So, so we'll see. I, I have not had the best experience with the Forgotten Age. So, well, yeah, this one is is one of the ones that. I think, and, and Man from Lang, you'll know this more than I think a lot of people, but you know they say that the return twos are kind of like the nightmare uh, decks in so far from Lord of the Rings, insofar as they, sure, a lot of the return twos were meant to make it harder um, or at least different, but I can't help but feel with how difficult the community found the Forgotten Age on average that with the return to they're going to kind of not make it harder so much as make it easier slash different. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I, you know, the funny thing is about the forgotten age, honestly, I think the return to forgotten age set is going to be their best selling return to set for a couple reasons. I think people will be people who hated the forgotten age will definitely be excited to give it another go with more balance uh, but there are, I think there are a lot of people that really love the Forgotten Age. I think time has been kind. Uh, me included. I love TFA. The Forgotten Age, from the first time I played it, I loved it. I thought it was such a unique uh, setting to to play in. I think the story was very dynamic and well laid out throughout the entire campaign. So I loved it. And I think that just kind of feeling the community out about it, I think that a lot of people in the community have have started to uh, warm up to the Forgotten Age quite a bit. Um, but not just those people, but I think the people that still thought it was too much uh, will buy the return to. Of, of any return to, that's one of the ones I think that uh, people are going to want to get. Yeah, that's those are all pretty good points, Vase. Um, I mean, as somebody that really enjoys TFA and the return to products in general, I'm really pretty excited to see what Matt uh, does with the supplies and we we asked Matt if there was going to be any specific changes to explore or the su- or the supplies but um 
He said that there would be changes, but he wouldn't give us any specific details. And then we asked if we would see any new supplies, and he said there's no new supplies per se, but that some of the changes on how the supplies are used. Um, some have more uses to them, and some may have different uses to them, but you'll also um, you'll have the opportunity to earn more supplies throughout the course of the scenarios. So that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty interesting. So I wonder if that's to help combat the the scaling of the explore deck and the supplies from solo to multiplayer. But yeah, I'm really, I'm really curious to see what Matt, what Matt has in store for the changes in the supplies. Man from Lang, I know you're not particularly, uh, particularly keen on the forgotten age. What about TFA? Do you not particularly care for? I, I, I think just as a predominantly solo player, I think it's, while I enjoy the I enjoy the beginning of the campaign quite a bit, and I've played those scenarios extensively. I find that the the boundary beyond Heart of the Elders combo is usually where I quit because if you if you don't do well in boundary, it basically um, it's hard to get a good result in the campaign. And boundary, if you do badly in boundary, then hard is just bad. And um, I think it improves. Like, I like City of Archives and and uh, Depths of Yoth. I haven't played Shattered Aeons that much. But, uh, um, yeah, I just feel like it's it's got a huge barrier uh, right in the middle of it. So I'm hoping that the uh, Return to box will fix that or at least smooth it out a little bit so it doesn't feel... Like I think every campaign has has barriers in it. Um, like in Dunwich, you've got undimensioned and unseen, which can be pretty difficult if you're playing solo. But I feel like um, Forgotten Age has sort of the the two scenarios right in the middle that that really uh, hurt it. Yeah, and it's it's weird how they work because individually they're okay, both scenarios, but. It's, it's the fact of how they interact with each other that, that makes it kind of a drag. And I, I agree with you initially that really put me off like tremendously when I played those two. I had to do the um, um, Heart of the Elders. I don't know. It was like six times in a row. The part uh, Spoilers. And continue. Um, it's not. Well, sure. I had to play it six times. That's not a spoiler. Spoilers. Um, but yeah, it's it's the way they interact with each other that just makes it really, really a drag sometimes if you follow it by the book, you know? I've kind of made it a pact with myself that when I play The Forgotten Age, I just play that one once and then I move on. Because <laughs> there's no point in just continuously repeating that, that scenario. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And, and to that kind of extent, too, the beginning is definitely a bit rough, too, if you're not prepared to... Uh, handle the exploration deck. So so I think like like you said man from like the the barrier in the middle that I don't think anyone particularly cares for. Uh, I have yet to meet somebody that likes Boundary and Heart of the Elders. Maybe like n- as part of the campaign right. I think. Boundary's okay on yeah. its own. Um, it's tough. Yeah, I totally agree. But it's an, it's But it's fun. fun. Yeah, it's very tough but it's fun. Yeah, I enjoy Boundary as a scenario, but I don't enjoy the way it interacts with the way it interacts with with heart and the way it sort of affects the rest of the campaign if you do badly in it, mm-hmm. and that's I think that's 
a big saving grace for the return to box is that you can easily you can easily change that. We said uh, several people have committed that have commented that this was a hard, if not the hardest campaign. Would you say that your main focus was to make it a little easier, change players experience or add more content? And Matt said, usually we strive not to make things too much harder, but just change the experience or add to replayability. With Return of the Forgotten Age, we actually did make some changes to the balance of the campaign in some places. It's still going to be hard, of course, but there are some scenarios in particular that saw some tweaking to make them a bit more fair. So this is this is probably in direct reference to Boundary and Heart of the Elders. Yeah, I would put money on that. Yeah. <laughs> and and like Man from Lang said earlier too, like the the end of TFA is excellent. Uh, City of Archives and Depths of Yoth, I think, are two of the most beloved scenarios in the community. So I'd, I'd, like the end of the campaign doesn't really need a lot of work, but like Man from Lang said, it's it's those interaction between boundary and heart of the elders that i think most people find uh to be annoying but aside from all the upcoming products uh let's let's move into the next question that we had for matt and that is concerning game balance so yeah moving on to uh moving on to our question about about game balance uh i had asked Matt, about, well, the ever-elusive the ever elusive Mr. Rook. Uh, Mr. Rook and his counterpart, uh, Astounding Revelation, have been a, been a hot point of contention for the community. Many, uh, including myself, feel that the combo is, is probably the strongest uh, interaction in the game, and probably worthy of the taboo list. So I wanted to ask Matt about his feelings about Mr. Rook and Astounding Revelation, and Matt had this to say. Mr. Rook is certainly very strong. We definitely have our eye on him, but we haven't made any decisions just yet on his ultimate fate regarding the taboo list. Like Dr. Milan, we don't want any one card or ally to be so prevalent that it pushes out all other allies on the same level. So what do you guys think about Mr. Rook and Astounding Revelation and the interaction of those two cards? Well, I think he's he's clearly the best, one of the, if not the best seeker ally in the game, and uh, art student, hello. Yeah, the art student is fine, but Mister Rook gets you the cards you need when you need them. So, like even when I was building my the uh, the uh, Daisy deck to to do her challenge scenario, I mean Mister Rook is clearly the best ally for it because he can fetch you any tome that's in your deck. And it doesn't just have to be a tome like the research librarian. It can be anything. Yeah. And then and then you throw in Astounding Revelation and you're getting two resources every time you do it as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think he's... He, I, I assume that when we do see a new taboo list at some point down the road that he'll be on it. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that that will be the case as well. Um, I've been kind of a proponent of this card ever since it's released in the secret name. I think I made a video back last year or the year before when that scenario was first revealed, and I I pointed out that I thought that uh, Mr. Rook was going to be the best ally in the game in general, and I really do think that that's the case because when you play when you play Mr. Rook, you know he's giving you four total health and sanity to soak, which is already above and beyond most of the seeker allies to begin with, like Doctor uh, Doctor Malison, Doctor Milan. Uh, art student, research librarian, those those cards only all have one health. So 
So for a class that's generally weak in health, you're getting more health. And then the combo of being able to get additional resources essentially allows you to play Mr. Rook for free. And yeah, and then you, you essentially get to look at 27 cards in your deck and draw three, which is just really, really strong. Um, so, so yeah, I've always just kind of asked myself, like, when I'm building a deck, like, w why... Why would I want any any other ally other than uh, Mr. Rook? Because, like, sure, a plus one stat boost might be nice, but if I can, you know, if I can just draw a working a hunch and get a clue that way, then, you know, Mr. Milan isn't really that relevant. Yeah, I, I assume we'll see him on the taboo list at some point. I don't know how they'll, whether they'll just tag some experience points on him or, or whatnot, but... I also like how they say they'll consider his fate. It's a very Arkham response. It is. That's yeah. It's true. Yeah, but I think he's like I can't think of many other cards that that have really generated as much debate as he has. Um, not off the top of my head, anyway. That yeah, it's, it's a bit of a meme in the Arkham community for sure. <laughs> I'm sure as this episode goes live, we'll see a bunch of uh, a bunch of those memes. Have you have you guys seen that on Reddit? I forget who posted it, but. Somebody made a uh, a basic weakness that was oh no you mentioned it again <laughs> it was like you take a horror every time Mr Rook is mentioned <laughs> uh, excellent that's pretty good I haven't seen that yet uh, it was really funny I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes of this episode <laughs> but uh, Vase what do you what do you think about Mr Rook have you had much experience playing yeah. with the Dealer of Secrets uh, I do use Mr Rook I don't use the combo with the sounding uh, revelation because it feels cheesy to me but um, He's definitely very strong. Uh, whenever I have anyone who has uh, seeker access, he goes in the deck. So I agree with uh, Man from Lang. I think at some point he will be either on the mutated list or on the taboo list because it's it is when you have a card that pretty much is an auto include. There's probably a reason for it. I just for me, it's like like if you compare if you compare Mister Rook to a card like No Stone Unturned level zero. Right? Mm -hmm. So if you, you look at those two cards side by side, Mr. Rook costs an extra resource, sir, but um, they both cost the same amount of total actions. Mr. Rook has three total uses, looks at more cards per use, and can soak health and sanity for yeah. you. Some will argue that he takes up an ally slot, so that's taking up a potential resource that you could use for something else. But generally, I think he's a better he's a better person to put in there. And once he uses, once he uses up all his charges, he can then tank that damage and go away. But, um, and then there's cards that will add more secrets to him too. They're in the secret pool. So you can like astounding revelation. <laughs> yeah. Astounding revelation or, you know, like, um, yeah, there's, there's a couple others enraptured from, from the uh, mystics. Um, there's a few truth for, yeah. Like truth from fiction. Truth from fiction yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's honestly, it's uh, it is definitely a strong card, definitely a strong card. But, you know, I think looking at as uh, as an overall function, you know, the the ally thing, I think the ally thing, I think, is definitely something that's both a blessing and a curse, because if you had other allies that were part of your strategy and Mr. Rook is just serving a purpose of finding certain cards for your combos then he's taking up that slot. So now you have to get rid of him and you miss out on that damage soak. Um, something to think about. 
something to think about. Yeah, the only other card that comes to mind that that I feel has been pushed is Safeguard from uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, that's the... Um, can you just yeah, read that off that real quick, too? That's the one where that... Uh, if you've got it in play when another investigator moves, you can trigger it to move with them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yep, yep. That can, the amount of action advantage that can generate in a turn is ridiculous. Does it exhaust when you use it or no? Uh, I think it does, but you can play two copies. So oh, dang. <laughs> potentially you could use it on two different investigators and move six times in a turn, which I don't think there's any other card that allows you to, I mean, you look at somebody like the rogues, right? Who are supposedly really good at generating extra actions and they have to spend a ridiculous amount of experience points to get something that does anywhere near that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think with safeguard though, safeguard costs experience, right? It's two experience. Yeah. So, so there's that. And then, um, I think like comparing comparing the amount of actions that you would save versus like actually winning like moving around is helpful but it doesn't actually like win you the game right whereas like if you look at like mr rook like it's drawing you cards which are going to win you the game so i think i think like those are totally uh those two cards are on different um spectrums of the it's a fair point but uh, the move is a huge uh action saver for sure and if you um, if you look at um, something like Pathfinder, you know, it's a one experience, right? And it does a similar thing, but it's it has a couple of limitations. Like you can't have enemies uh, with you and you can only use it once per turn. And you could have two copies of that, sure, but, um, you know, it, it's really expensive. How much, does, uh, how much does this card cost to play? Two. Two. Also, it's cheaper than Pathfinder to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and guardians also have eternal vigilance, so they could play it for one if they wanted to. Oh, it's yeah. an asset. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, and and part of the power level of that card too is obviously dependent on the amount of investigators that you're playing with. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's definitely a multiplayer card, but it lets a guardian basically tag along with somebody, and it. I mean, when you look at some card like I think later in the cycle they released heroic rescue two or something like that and like why would you bother with that card when you have safeguard i can see certain situations when you would play it but like if you've got safeguard you wouldn't you wouldn't need that card at all so i don't know see i'd i'll have to oh well i mean it's we'll see how it plays out but to me it seems pretty it can get pretty over the top, especially when you combine it with things like Eternal Vigilance. So you can play a machete in that for on turn one and then basically just follow another investigator around and collect all the enemies and kill them all without actually having to ever move yourself. But that does sound like a lot of fun with Zoe. That sounds fun. <laughs> I, th- like, I feel like that that is much more balanced than looking at your entire deck and drawing three to six cards from it personally but why don't we go ahead and move on to some miscellaneous questions that we had for matt so one thing that i was talking to matt about was if there's a fear that we'll run out of investigators because i mean arkham is doing really well uh we don't know how long it's going to last exactly but 
I mean, there's a lot of places still to go, a lot of campaigns we'd still like to see, a lot of investigators we want to see come to light. So I said, is there a worry about running out of investigators with how many have already come out with the deluxe boxes and now the investigator starter decks? And Matt told me, first of all, to shut my mouth. No, he said, not particularly. For one thing, if we make it to the point where we've actually run out of investigators, quote unquote, I'll consider that a huge success. That's almost 60 investigators. That's absolutely huge. Which is true. Um, Second, as can be seen from the starter decks, we're not afraid to add new investigators to the roster. Uh, That's not to say that we won't add a huge swath of them if we run out, but that's something to consider. And then finally, he did mention that if they ever run out of investigators, then they can make another set of investigators, special investigators like this most recent set that's yet to drop. Um, So once again, he's saying, don't worry about it. They've got a lot of ideas. I know that on a recent podcast, he had talked about having a um, kind of a stockpile of investigators that are in the works that he kind of revisits and goes back to to see if he wants to pull any out or develop any more. I want to see a cycle with just circus people like the lion tamer, the clown, um, the host guy. Tobias. Or like hotel staff. You have the elevator, elevator guy, the concierge. It'd be it'd be interesting to have like themed packages. They sound more like Call of Cthulhu investigators <laughs> than they do <laughs> investigators of Arkham. That would be funny to have like not the A team or the B team, but the, like the the L team. You know, the team that never should have made it. Well, here we have the uh, operator for the elevator and the custodian, the bellhop, uh, which makes Jazz Mulligan look strong. Uh, yeah, you see how well they do. <laughs> Instead of survivors, yeah, if they made Jazz new, Mulligan into faction. an investigator. That would be sweet. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> if they made Jazz Mulligan into an investigator, I'd play. That. Oh my god! Yeah, the ja- dude, he's <laughs> awesome. Jazz Mulligan and Jim Culver get the music thing Hell going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think we'll we'll have anything to worry about. I mean, even if they release all, like, say, if they actually do release all almost 60 investigators that would be what at least another like three or four campaign boxes if they were to just continue it with the structure they have now something like that yeah something like that it might even be like almost six i think they have like three more cycles before they're from the official canon investigators i think they have three more cycles worth of investigators to re- that they can release mm-hmm I don't think they're shooting any investigators out of cannons, but uh, I would go back to the circus. Yeah, the there, are 40, there are currently 44 investigators. That probably includes a couple duplicates from Carol and Fern and whatnot being reprinted. So There are 44 released? Yes, but probably 40. Well, Carol and Fern's duped on this list, so 43. Uh, Marie is duped, so 42. Uh, Roland is not... It's only huh. the book ones. So yeah, so forty-two looks like there's forty-two investigators. So if they had say sixty, that's it. All comes back to Douglas Adams. So unreleased, we have. Let me see. Sixteen. Yeah, so that's that's at least three cycles yeah. worth. You know, so like that's three more full years of just. You know, going as business as usual. And, you know, if a game lasts for almost 10 years, that's that's impressive, I would say. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, we call that four times the length of my marriage. Let's do this. <laughs> Woo! Uh, next question. <laughs> we had said, um, he had said that uh, Netrunner was probably his favorite game of all uh, from FFG specifically. Uh, obviously, other than Arkham, which he's you know lead developer for. But I said if um, Netrunner were to be reborn and a call went out for help, would you want to be at the helm or part of it? And he says, they'd have to lock me up to stop me. So that does <laughs> kind of go back to his his dedication to the game. Now, how many of us played Netrunner back in the day? I did not. I heard it was very good, though. I okay. played a little bit of it. A little bit? I didn't, Base? No, never played it. That Was that no, uh, comp- competitive or was that co-op? It is. It was competitive, yeah. And I mean, I played it a bit, but my very nature is that I like to do cooperative more. Same. But I definitely Same. know, like, for example, uh, Peter from uh, Drawn to the Flame is a huge Netrunner fan. That's where he did a lot. And um, so I know that he would know it more. But, well, cool. I was just curious on that. Um, we also talked about Marvel Champions. For those of you that didn't know, uh, Matthew Newman worked on the Black Widow pack um, and, and kind of collaborated with them. Uh, and he simply says, uh, we asked if he would collaborate more with, with other FFG games, but he said the card department at FFG is very tight-knit. We're all kind of helping each other out uh, in all of our games in various ways. That said, Marvel was really uniquely positioned for that kind of collaboration, and the situation's a bit different for Arkham. I mean, what with all the individual hero packs, you can have it be more isolated and bring in more pinch hitters. But he says, I don't see anything uh, quite like that happening right now, but it certainly could if the timing and situation called for it. Once again, with Arkham and uh, with Marvel, there's going to be some cross-geniuses working their magic at FFG. Yeah, I think it's easier for... For Marvel Champions to have crossover designers. Yeah. Just because, like, Arkham is such a narrative-driven game that if you had multiple people working on the scenarios, you you might have a, a disconnected narrative. Yeah, like changing a movie's director halfway through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That makes sense. I, I think uh, I meant more like a standalone scenario, you know, just like Rougarou and that Similar kind of to, like, Murder? Yeah, Murder. Yeah, exactly, like Excelsior. Well, I guess that was a collab, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that uh, leads into your other question, too, Nathan, right? True. Well, I just want to point out that was with Nicholas Corey from the Mythos Busters. Uh, I mean, he knocked that out of the park. Everybody I sell Arkham to pretty much has already bought that scenario, so it's been doing really well. Um, for the next question, um, basically, any plans to have guest designers for standalones or investigator decks? Uh, and he did say, well, Jeremy... See if I can say the name right. Zwirn? Z-W-I-R-N. Did the Nathaniel Cho and Harvey Walters decks? Aside from that, I have nothing more to announce on that front, but you never know. That's code for we were totally right. Totally. totally, That's typical Matt Newman right there. (laughs) Nothing to announce. Typical Matt Newman. Means yes. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be my one question trivia uh, event for the day here. We asked Matt Newman what his favorite type of sushi was. Um, everybody uh, listening can now spicy tuna. Oh come on, baby! <laughs> why would you? I want to win. Why would you pick that at random? 
His Vase, answer was spicy tuna, by the way. I didn't yes. even finish getting the question out. Two points for Vase. <laughs> it's like the kid that opens presents that were meant for other kids at a birthday party because he was already getting <laughs> presents. That's, that's what just happened just now. Um, so for popping into Community Spotlight, does anyone have anything they want to add or talk about for a minute before I do my Community Spotlight? I got about five bullet points. There was, actually... So recently on Reddit, somebody posted Isabella Lafrata, the pianist. She's a custom investigator. Uh, she's a rogue class. And let me just quickly read off her stats here. She is a two willpower, um, three intellect, three combat, three agility investigator. She has six health and seven sanity. And she has the performer traits. And her ability reads, you may take an additional action during your turn. So that's cool. And she has a forced ability that reads, after you perform the same action twice in a row, uh, types include investigate, activate, engage, evade, fight, etc., etc., uh, you lose all remaining actions and immediately end your turn. She has a deck size of 30, and at deck creation you choose Mystic, Survivor, or Seeker, and uh, her deck building options include Rogue 0-5, to five, Neutral 0-5, to five, and then up to 5 uh, level 0, one, uh, zero to 1 events and or skills from the chosen secondary class. Her signature cards are Cadenza, which bears one wild skill icon, costs three resources, and bears the improvised trait. Uh, it's Isabella Lafrata only, and it reads, You may immediately take the following actions in any order. Move, fight, evade, investigate, resource, draw. These actions don't count towards the number of actions you can take uh, that you can take each turn, and if it's your turn, you end your turn. Um, and her weakness, uh, which I can't pronounce, is music and task traded. It bears the revelation effect. You put this card in your threat area, and it has an action that says if there's no doom on it, you discard it, and otherwise you remove a doom from it. And then it has a forced effect that says at the start of your turn, you add a doom to it. So she's a pretty neat investigator. Uh, I haven't tried her out yet, but I'm curious, and just wanted to uh, take the time to point that out real quick. And if you're curious yourself, I will post the images in the show, uh, in the show notes. So yeah. Oh, very cool. I love, I love fan content. Not because I I want to play it more, but because it shows involvement with the community and gives you just more more to enjoy with a great game. So I think that's cool when people take the time to do that. Um, I don't know. I had asked vase a couple of times and I never got an answer. Did we get a winner for the In the Man- Mansion of Madness uh, giveaway? Um, no. <laughs> Alright, so uh, I guess what I'll do is I'll just give it away on the Facebook group with uh, the 8,000 plus people or so. So look for that opportunity soon. Once again, Mark Teppo did uh, he's an author here in Portland he did the In the Mansion of Madness book, which is on uh, Amazon and other platforms. I do recommend you check it out. It is, I think it's pretty much written modern day, but uh, it has a lot of cuss words and words that you would actually say if you were an investigator and dealing with the madness of the, the Elder Ones. So there's a lot of F-bombs in real situations, which is kind of refreshingly accurate. Uh, he is working on sequels, so there will be other uh, choose-your-own-adventures in this kind of vein. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I've died many times, but I think there's like 40 to 50 ways to die 
and five ways to win. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, we have just a few more things to cover. Um, for those of you that don't know that have been living under an elder sign, um, Matt Newman has, independent of FFG, come out with his own novel. He said that, um, you know, he had the idea separately than this, but the uh, writing exercise in, I can't remember what it's called for the life of me. Does anyone know what, that, what that's called again? Where you do the, the little bits every day, you write every day, and then you, you can form novels or novellas that way. As a result, is that Nanorama or whatever, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're probably it, the Necronomicon or <laughs> no? I know we're I know we're butchering it, but um, anyway, he came out with Dark Drifters. Uh, it is currently up on Kickstarter as we speak. It was funded uh, the same day, which I'm not surprised. He did me the honor of sending me a rough draft a while back to read, and it was one of those books that I kept on like reading a little bit and stopping because I was just savoring it, you know, like a, like a dessert. Um, it kind of reminded me of a wrinkle in time meets the matrix meets ready player one. You know, there's a lot of nostalgia. There's a lot of, um, you know, back and forth between different levels of reality, or you could say the Oasis or the matrix or what have you. Tons of fun, so I immediately kicked it as soon as I saw it came out with it and got some copies for friends that I'm excited to share with them. And I'm also going to share it with my uh, eight-year-old because we've been reading um, sci-fi fantasy every night. So anyway, very exciting. But we we uh, talked about it a little bit, and he wanted to make sure he mentioned it. So um, about his novella, here's what he had to say. He said that the the key in the crescent, Dark Drifters key in the crescent, is a story that is really near and dear to my heart. It's all about dreams, nightmares, and the drifters who travel between them. It's a young adult fantasy adventure with a bit of horror and psychological thriller as well. Uh, once again, do check out that Kickstarter. There's a pretty extensive uh, update coming out about that. Um, and then we asked, how did the idea for the book series come about? He said, it's kind of a long story. The idea uh, for the series in general has been something I've bounced around in my head for a long time. But the idea for The Key and the Crescent came from two character shorts I wrote about three years ago. One entitled The Girl in the Attic and the other I simply called Why I Can't Sleep at Night, which was uh, ostensibly about me. Uh, then the, oh, here we go. The NaNoWriMo 2018 came around. I wound up weaving these two shorts together into the beginnings of what was simply called The Girl and the Black Cat, which I solidified in what became the key in the crescent during the NaNoWriMo 2019 the following year. By the end of that November, I had finished the novel, which I had started loaning out to friends to read. And me. Friends and me. Uh, round after round after round of editing later, I felt confident enough in the story uh, I had to tell that I started bouncing the idea of a Kickstarter, and, well, here we are. Yay. Woo! Um, and then someone wrote, the teaser art looks very, uh, you know, punk fantasy Tokyo. Is the setting a fictional Tokyo, uh, or is it a New World-inspired or something else? Uh, 
And he said that the story takes place in several locales, one of which is Shinjuku, Japan. But really what you're seeing is the artwork is part of the drift, a dream realm composed of infinite dreams of every living creature. You'll have to read the rest to know more. Uh, once again, his price for the Kickstarter is very reasonable. There's a softback and a hardback uh, version. I think he's signing copies of the hardback, if not the softback. You'll have to double check that to know more. Uh, but yeah, support support the man, one of the main people who is bringing us Arkham Horror, the card game, uh, to our lives. We really owe him this and more, so... Just a great opportunity to do so. And it looks, this story looks really intriguing. The cover art's awesome. I love it. Um, it's kind of what I've loved every bit I've read yeah, so far. Yeah. I, I went into the Kickstarter full on, <laughs> uh, because yeah, he, uh, he definitely, uh, has some really interesting writing with Arkham Horror, the card game. And I'm very curious to see that in, in long book form. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, so I'm just going to plug away at a few more things here and then we can, um, kind of wrap it up but once again if anybody wants to add to this i'll have a pause after each of these in case you want to say something um i also want to point out lcg tokens uh that's e-l-i-s-e space g-e-e um they've got some news they sent me uh and for those of you that weren't part of our arkham uh, horror beneath the waves event here in portland or or read about it we had shame on you (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> you showed up. Uh, we had 62 people that came to that event. It was phenomenal. Um, LCG Tokens uh, donated a couple batches of their tokens, which were great, along with supplying us with T-shirts, all for free. So Black T-shirts, mind you, too. T-shirts. Uh, so that was very <laughs> sweet. you know. Um, but they said that they have some new stuff coming out. They do have a new set of Eldritch Horror tokens coming out next week, which could be this week at this point. Uh, Mystery, Rumor, Adventure, Doom Tracker, etc. to add to the core game. So that's neat for those of you that play Eldritch Horror, the board game. A lot of fun. They also said that they'll be coming out with more Innsmouth Conspiracy um, tokens later to, to keep the flavor and the accessories going. So... We'd like to, to just give a shout out for all the great work they do. And thanks again for being one of our fantastic sponsors for the Arkham, and Wave, or Arkham Horror Beneath the Waves, which I had stupidly said that we would have one this year. And then the pandemic fully hit. <laughs> yeah. So at this rate, yeah. we're looking at 2021, maybe. Um, so, you know, put that on your calendars. We'll see we, what happens. Uh, we should just do it in the same years that Necronomicon's at. Oh, yeah? Is that every other year? Yeah. Well, hell yeah. That makes sense to me. That's totally what we might do. (laughs) It makes everyone feel special. (laughs) Right? So much Arkham, not enough uh, out there in the world. Also, big shout out to Arkham Central. Uh, If you haven't been to that site yet, please visit. Um, uh, Karsten does an amazing job. He is the creator of the website. Uh, he tagged me in as admin, but to be honest, he does the bulk of the work. I just hype it whenever I can. But on that website, there are ways of checking in with fan-created content, um, you know, fan-written adventures. There's also links for bags, tokens. Um, you know, one of my other favorite 
content or uh, accessory makers out there is buy the same token. Uh, Chris and Simon are just awesome people and make awesome goods. I have a link for their stuff up there too. Uh, Momo Monster Co. out of Canada. Um, she's gone from having a job and her Etsy store to just having an Etsy store. So make sure you check out Momo Monster Co. for physical mats as well as a bunch of other designs. And then, of course, Needle and Threadley with Daphne Brune out of Texas. Uh, geek mom who uses her magic to make bags. I love them. But recently, during the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus outbreak, there have been several people making what a lot of people consider to be some of the best fan-mades out there. Um, Matt Grenier has made uh, The Cost of Azure, uh, which has gotten a lot of questions and a lot of hype. Uh, Portland's own Michael Hawkins has come out with a mini-campaign, which has the search for Kotorovich and also the, I believe it's the... Um, Something with Dorman. The, oh, I can't remember the title off it off the top of my head, but it's like the Dimensional Dorman, if I remember correctly. Um, two great scenarios. Holy crap. And he's continuing to make a World War One or World War II um, custom investigators in scenario. So it's hard to stop that, man. I know Vase made a um, Grateful... No, not Grateful Dead. Help me out. Iron Maiden. That's what I said. I just kept on thinking of the zombies on all their posters. An Iron Maiden scenario. Are you uploading that to Arkham Central soon? At some point. It's been delayed. I, I was working on a new set of scenarios, but that's been delayed too. But yeah, I, I'll get it up there at some point. And thank you so much for giving me a, a copy ahead of time. That was very sweet. Yeah, no problem. Um, also, the Symphony of Eric Zahn. There's a, a copy of that up on Arkham Central. And then in the blackest... Pitts campaign campaign mind you uh, was also added so for those of you that have not tried Arkham Central and printed off the fan made stuff either at home on your printer or I go to Office Depot and have them print these off on 110 pound cardstock in color cut them out and put them in sleeves absolutely phenomenal um, so I just want to mention that uh, oh uh, while you're on the subject of Arkham Central, too, Nathan, has was there an update to the um, Mountains of Madness fan campaign? Had you heard anything about that? I know we'd mentioned that a few episodes ago. But I had actually wanted to... Uh, I was thinking about playing it tomorrow. Oh, neat. I was you just curious about, if you had heard anything about it. You're talking about, about the betrayal at the Mountains of Madness? I believe that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah it was... Tim Fletcher? Yes, yeah. Um, I know that he had redone it, revisited it, and uh, put up a newer version. Um, Is that what it was? Yeah. Is he just revamped it? Okay, kind of maybe that's what I saw. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's all. So, yeah, no, I'm really excited about that, too. And I know that whoever made the Grand Oak Hotel, which I love, on Arkham Central, check that out. I know they are currently working on a sequel for that. So, a lot of good stuff coming back. Um, going back to a, a, an actual FFG official item, too. Um, does anyone else have the blood of Bale Shendor? Yeah, I gotta say, um, Arkham Chronicle was nice enough to send me a, a copy. Yeah, Arkham Chronicle on YouTube, fantastic. Nate? No, I, I have yet to receive blood on Bale Shendor yet. Man from Lane? 
I've ordered it, but they when FFG postponed shipping of everything, then okay. We still have like ten or twelve copies because I ordered thirty copies at Guardian, and the the guy who orders the the newer person we hired on is like, "You sure?" And I'm like, "Yeah, no, we're sure." Um, it is both a fantastic read, which I was really I really enjoyed it. Like it really brought the atmosphere in and the. Would you say it was magical? Nice, nice. <laughs> um, I'm going to send you a special message after this. <laughs> um, no, it was a really a fun read, and the cards are great. And uh, the signature, Molly Maxwell, his partner and uh, significant other, uh, is a great asset. Like, everything about the novella and the cards was spot-on awesome. So really happy with that product. So you'd say, so you'd say the author really pulled a rabbit out of the hat. And then we're going on. Wow. Um, Nice, nice. Kind of (laughs) hair-raising. And then the last thing I wanted to cover for just a moment was um, going back to if if people want to kind of take their their gameplay to another level. I know in the past I've talked about lighting. I've talked about music. I've talked about connectors. And I've also talked about, like, going to get hobby trees that instantly add... But another thing uh, that's fun is there's there's several games out there like I think Sword Sorcery has this D and D has this I think I even got some from the Zombicide Black Plague uh, set but there's a lot of game companies out there that come out with 3D doors um, I, I like to use those for sections of the board that we haven't gotten to yet for a classic example is the um, spoiler in case you haven't played it yet but the Dumwich Legacy Deluxe Box uh, in the museum, not museum, the, um, oh, why am I blanking on this one? The House Always Wins and, what's the other one? Extracurricular Activities? Yep. Hey, nice. I remembered. Um, with extracurricular activities, there's a couple areas you can't go to on the board yet. They're locked off. So I put little doorways, uh, and then I pop the doorway open. Uh, if you do have ones that open up when you can access that area. So it makes it a little more thematic, just brings it home a little bit more. And then I also use those same doors for the locked door um, cards when they come out, just to kind of show, hey, you can't investigate those areas. Um, I also have crates. You can get little dollhouse crates or tables um, to put around the board. That was especially useful in um, the Forgotten Age to kind of show supplies by the base camp. Um, but I've used them in the Egyptian scenarios. They kind of give that um, that air of needing supplies in the middle of the desert. And um, coming up with the Innsmouth, I can't help but think that'll be some um, stuff there as well. Probably have some fish frog people or something like that, for sure. Uh, but kind of on the subject about fan-made content in books, I recently had the chance to interview Josh Reynolds, who's the author of the upcoming Arkham Horror novel, Wrath of Nakai. It was a really good interview. Yeah, I enjoyed that episode a lot. Yeah, Josh is a big fan of the Arkham Files, so it was really, really quite a treat to to pick his brain a little bit about writing 
uh, writing a novel in set in the Arkham universe. Um, I believe Wrath of Nakai is slated to be released in September, as of as of right now. Uh, obviously, with the world uh, the way it is, it could change, but for now, that's the way it is. And lastly, before we wrap up today's episode, there is a little bit of Patreon news that I wanted to cover. I recently uploaded episodes four and five of our ongoing Call of Cthulhu campaign, so if you're interested in that, you can head over to patreon.com slash thegreatoldonesgaming. And as always, we want to thank our patrons for all their support. Special shout-outs go out to our Charnel Lords, Robert Bout and Doovies. And our random patron shout-out goes out to Scott from the Mythos Busters. Uh, thanks for your support, guys. We really appreciate it. And with that, we're going to wrap up today's episode. I've been your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and I was joined with my lovely fellow co-hosts. I am the man from Lang, host of the Whisperer and Darkness YouTube channel. I am Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. Yeah, and it's me, Nathan, again. Hey, um, side note, you like that? I actually added that in for everybody. Uh, if people have that are listening to the show have not yet checked out all the content that these three guys do, make sure you look on YouTube for the Twisted Tentacle Inn or Nate from Lost in Time and Space. Make sure you track down Whisper in the Darkness. Uh, there's so much content with those three things alone. You will not be wanting for uh, any extra because it's just so amazing. So shout out to all the great content that we do in addition to the podcast. Thank you guys for all your work. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Well, this will probably come out after Mother's Day, so it'll be... You know what? Okay. I just want to prove that we love our community enough to do something on a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> My wife just walked by as I said that. Uh-oh. Uh, so I got to watch out. <laughs>